it's a very warm welcome to Inspiring African Travel, our podcast from myself, James, and my wife, Julia, and our great friend, Stuart. Our platform brings you the stories from citizens of Africa who, through tourism, are uplifting their communities, breaking gender barriers, and doing their bit in conserving the precious wilderness areas of this continent. Thank you so much to everyone who has joined us on this journey so far. We do this because we genuinely love meeting these people. Our goal is to bring you people who don't have the limelight, people in places you may not have heard about in Africa. Local heroes in tourism was our focus for series two. And Stuart and I have met some tremendous characters along the way. Today is the final episode of series two and a lot of people have been asking us what's up and what's happening after this. We've been asked by a lot of people to feature more podcasts on some of the destinations that we know and love in Africa. And that's exactly what we've done. So coming up after series two, we're going to be doing little destination features. You can expect some of our tips from the beautiful province of KwaZulu-Natal in South Africa and also some great interviews from people we know that live and work there as well as our experiences from a trip to Rwanda and Uganda and of course Jules's home island, her tropical island of Zanzibar and her little tips and secrets for visiting that amazing place off the coast of Tanzania and much more. And coming up soon, we'll also be conducting more interviews with a range of guides from across Africa who will teach us some fascinating things about their profession and the environments that they work in and some amazing stories of their time out in the bush. The aim of these podcasts and these short interviews with guides across Africa is, is really to inspire you about some of the most incredible places that you can discover and to inspire you to go and visit them. Lots of great stuff and we really can't wait to share more. So please, if you're on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, we're there. And we'll be keeping you up to date with what's going on and some pretty cool stories from our side. If you're listening and you haven't yet subscribed to our podcast, please do. Or even if you're feeling super adventurous, uh, why not review us? It does help bump us up a little bit and get noticed and... uh, A big part of what we do is really trying to elevate responsible tourism. So if you've got the chance to do that, that would be amazing. That and we haven't had a review yet. So I'm sure Stuart has got some amazing, inspiring African travel merchandise that he can give away to the first person who reviews us. Or perhaps we can think of something else. But for now, let's meet Michael Kamerika an amazing guy from Ongava Game Reserve in Namibia. And to wrap up season two, we hope you enjoy meeting this lovely guy and we will see you soon. So I'll get started. Everybody ready? Mm -hmm. Nice. Hello everybody, welcome to Inspiring African Travel. Here we are, it's a beautiful Saturday morning and we are talking to a gentleman called Michael Kamerika, who's sitting in Namibia, and it's our first interviewee from uh, Namibia. We're really looking forward to, to chatting to him. Michael Kamerika is a guide. He's a guide, a safari guide at a beautiful game reserve called Ongava Game Reserve in Namibia. It's uh, just to the south of Itosha. We'll talk a lot about the place and what it's like. You'll also find, if you go onto their websites, 
that they have a logo of a rhino, which uh, is a very important species. They're doing a lot for conservation of, of white and black rhino. I can't wait to talk more about that. Michael, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? Thanks for getting me on the show, and I'm actually honored to be on the show. And uh, nice meeting you guys. Um, I'm looking forward to be chatting with you. Stu, how's it going? Where are you? Yeah, I'm good, James. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, I'm down in uh, Neisner um, on the garden route. I took a little, um, a little break down to come down and just visit uh, my brother. So we actually this morning went by boat to the to his office, uh, which is yeah, man, it's nice. It's a nice way to start your morning. Get on a boat, cruise across the Neisner Lagoon, jump up into the office and uh, chat to you guys. So yeah, it's really cool. Lovely little town. This. That is pretty cool. Okay, Stu, you're gonna have to send some um, photos to us so we can uh, pop them on the socials. Catching a yacht <laughs> to the office is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll send it to you. I, I did pop one up on Instagram this morning um, while I was sitting on the boat um, and tagged you and said, "Go check it out." All right, cool. Obviously, uh, getting out and about and going down to the garden route has got your social media juices flowing again, eh? Yeah, look, I was counting, and I think it's my fifth social media post since this time last year. So uh, I think <laughs> I need to, I keep saying I need to revive my social media accounts. Today's the day. <laughs> That's amazing. Well done. And um, Michael, really looking forward to talking to you, man. And I've had I've had Namibia on my brain for the last uh, for the last few months because I just I've got to get back there because I love a road trip, and Namibia has got to be one of the best places in southern africa for a road trip you've got the best roads you've got the longest nice long distances open spaces no traffic good signposts lots of little guest houses and game reserves to stay and also i believe you guys have had a lot of rain out there is it is the desert looking amazing well uh, first of all thanks a lot man for uh, talking about my country in a higher note so uh, Namibia is a very beautiful uh, country with uh, different, I mean, as you said, if you want to travel uh, throughout Namibia, you will get different sceneries in the south, you get the desert, to come up north, you get beautiful animals, uh, scenery, and the vegetation is totally different from, from the south. In terms of rain, normally we'll get annual rain of uh, 350, 300 to 350 and uh, three seasons ago, uh, we got something like uh, 87. And uh, it was probably one of the worst uh, droughts we, we, we had. And uh, this year, we have been blessed with rain. And, and so far, in different angles already, we had in some different parts over 400 already. We, everything is green here. The scenery is totally different. And I think uh, with the vegetation we have so far, even though we are still in the rain, in the middle of the raining season, I think it will sustain the, the animals uh, throughout the year. And it's always a tough one because, you know, most of the travelers that come to visit the game reserve, they probably don't associate uh, good news and positivity with rain. You know, people come and they want sunshine and warmth. But, you know, why, why, why is rain so important for a place like Ankava or just Namibia in general? Without rain there won't be any vegetation and if there's no vegetation there won't be uh, the herbivores won't have food meaning they will die out and uh, if the herbivores die out obviously it will affect uh, the, the predators that feed on on the herbivores 
I mean, uh, without rain, uh, we barely wouldn't live in this world. So this, I've seen a lot of pictures out of there at the moment, and it's absolutely beautiful. If a guest is blessed enough to go to a place like Namibia, uh, when there's been a good rainy season, the colors, oh my God, it's so amazing because you've got that rich, rich colored soil in those dunes, and then you've got this emerald grass coming out, flowers. It's uh, it actually guests that are there at this time of the year are blessed, I reckon. There are flowers that I've never seen before. The vegetation is just outstanding. Make sure you go and visit Namibia in the green season, December, January, February, March, blow you away. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, Namibia. Everyone, you always associate Namibia with dry, right? Um, and, and big desert environments. So it's uh, to see it in its current state is, is incredible. I mean, I've, I've only just watched a bit on social media to see how it's looking. But the, like James says, the contrast um, with all the grass in those desert environments is amazing. Um, but Mike, tell us so. Tell us a little bit more about Ongava. I mean, you've uh, I've been there uh, twice, I think, uh, in my time in the travel industry. But normally, on very quick stays, and it's always it's always kind of interested me because it's uh, obviously it's a game viewed wildlife destination, but it's quite unique. Um, so just give us a little bit of a rundown. What what it is about Ongava that you love so much, and um, and what makes that place so special? Right, so uh, Ongava, first of all, Ongava is uh, a name from one of our local languages, meaning rhino. When I started here, I started here in 2014. Ongava is uh, 30,000 hectares, a uh, big reserve. Uh, before Ongava became a game reserve, it was four cattle farms. So what uh, the owners did is they bought the land and uh, what they did is they took out all the fences within the four farms and just improved the quality and made it more higher at the boundaries. And then they introduced uh, animals like especially rhinos, as you, as you had uh, on Gava means rhino, they introduced the rhinos and already there were some wildlife like kudus, springboks and so on, but then they just added uh, lions, uh, rhinos, and made it a, a game reserve. So we have four camps here in uh, Ongava Game Reserve. Uh, we do game drives here. Uh, we do nature walks. We do rhino approaches. When you're on your two feet walking in the environment or in nature, you feel involved. When a guide is explaining to you about a trek, or telling you how why that rhino was marking territory, you feel you feel more involved rather than uh, being in a distance when you're in the vehicle. So uh, nature walks is one of my favorites. Chat just a little bit, Mike. It's, it's James mentioned earlier. It's right next to the Atosha National Park. Is that right? Do you guys go in there? Do you do, do you take your guests into Atosha? Is the experience quite similar to an Atosha experience? Ongava is actually at the southern border of. of Etosha, so there is a fence between Ongava and, and, and Etosha. So, uh, and doing drives to, to Etosha is one of our activities. Uh, we normally do drives uh, there mainly in the morning. Uh, we do morning drives to Etosha, and then in the afternoon, we do them here in the reserve. Etosha is a big place. Sometimes we, we also recommend, we, uh, recommend guests to do a full day. This is now when you pack your lunch packs and then just spend the, almost the whole day in a torch and then you come back before, before the sun goes down. 
Awesome. So, guys, because I mean, like, obviously, Tasha is such an important attraction from a Namibia perspective. So, I suppose what's nice is on Garve, it seems to be quite a well rounded experience. You can obviously you can get your guests in and you can see those salt pans, which is so, which is so important for pan, sorry. Um, and then obviously just enjoy really good game viewing and obviously all the conservation on your Garve side. Michael, can I chat to you a little bit about your early days? How did you? I end up being a safari guide. We talk a lot about this on our podcast in terms of uh, tourism as a vehicle for empowering uh, African citizens. And uh, I believe your first job as a safari guide was with Ongava. Tell us a little bit about your story and how Ongava helped you on your career as a, as a guide. Uh, so I was, uh, as a young boy, I grew up at the northwest part of, of Namibia, not very far from Ongava. I grew up on a farm. I actually had a very good connection with nature already at a young age. I went to school, uh, in, I started school in 1996, uh, finished my secondary education in 2007. I then was jobless. I actually throughout my school did not have an aim on what I wanted to do due to financial problems with my parents. I could not go for tertiary education. And I was basically just at home helping out my, my dad with, with farm work and so on. So my two brothers, my two bigger brothers uh, already had a, a job. One of them was employed here at Ongava. He's still employed up to now as a guy here at Ongava. So when he used to go back home on leave, he always came back with uh, these guiding books that he always used to read. So growing up at the farm uh, without any education of conservation or any education of animals, I mean, you would know what, what a kudu is or what a steambok is or what a springbok is. But... Uh, when I started reading the books, I started getting more involved, getting more in love with the animals. If you know the gestation period or what it eats or what, what uh, the reasons of the markings on the body is and all that, you get in love with it. So I used to read his books and so on. Luckily, one day there was a position here for, for a general worker, maintenance worker. I applied for it. I was called in. And uh, I was in a position as a, as a maintenance worker here at Ongava Game Reserve. That was now uh, 2014. After a year, I was called in by the area manager, which is uh, Stuart Crawford. He basically just called me in to ask me what my interest was uh, in, in, in Ongava. I mean, as, as a company where I would be specialized or which field I would want to to follow as there are a lot of, uh, I mean, management or whether it's guiding or any field within Ongava. Uh, I told him I was interested in, in guiding. From there, he told me that uh, it's okay, my English is okay, but he needs me to, to first uh, become, a, he, need, he will promote me as a barman waiter just to interact with, with the guest on how the guests are handled or basically how to communicate with the guest. And while I was a barman waiter, he used to send me for, for training. 
uh, entry level guiding. I mean, I used to go for bed counting. I also, uh, I was also allowed to go out with other guides uh, to do drives and just to learn, basically just to learn on how the guiding things uh, uh, get done. And uh, from that day on, when I became a guide, I've been enjoying it. I've been out there doing researches, studying, and uh, so far, everything has been doing very well. We haven't had the privilege of being guided by you, but I've uh, done my research and uh, there's lots of amazing reviews about you uh, and blogs and, and so forth. It sounds like you're a very cool, calm and collected man uh, when it comes to being in the field, which I suppose is very important, especially when you're uh, approaching, approaching a rhino on, on foot and uh, very passionate about what you do. But what's so awesome is that you, you've worked really hard with the support, obviously, of your, your boss and the, and the lodge and the, and the game reserve. Clearly, you're, you're very good at it. So, so, so well done, man. And I said I wasn't going to ask, but I, I, uh, it's such a cool name, um, Michael Camerica. What, where, does, where does the word Camerica, Camerica come from? Well, uh, firstly, thanks, uh, thanks, James, for because I do love my job. But yeah, about the surname, I get a lot of questions about my surname because it sounds similar to America. But that is my surname that I that I got from my mom. This uh, has a meaning also in one of our local languages. It means you won't be eaten, America. It's like I won't be eaten. Nobody, uh, nobody. <laughs> Nobody wants to be uh, eaten, so uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's really cool. If you go on a nature walk with Michael, you don't need to worry about getting eaten. <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. I'd quite happily get off a vehicle and go for a walk with you, Michael, just based on your name. So I know that was good. <laughs> just to swing back a little bit, I mean, I just want to talk about the tourism industry in general and, and how it's impacted you. I mean, you've, you've also, I really like your your journey. I mean, you, you come from a farm, farming background. Uh, you're passionate about tourism and guiding and that kind of led you, led you there. How's, how is tourism, how's the tourism industry changed your life? When I was a kid, I would, I would get people eating art farts and so on. And I, because you have no education, you wouldn't mind. But today, if if I see somebody trying to, to, to kill an artifact, I would approach them and tell them that, man, do you know how important that artifact is to the ecosystem? This artifact digs holes. This is the amount of holes it would dig during the night. But these holes that these artifacts dig, there are other animals that would depend on those holes. But if you kill this artifact, what will happen to all those animals that, that needs those holes? Where would the jackal uh, give back? I mean, where would the warthog get shelter and all that? So it had a very, very big impact in terms of education. And this is something that we, that we lack also, uh, especially for the upcoming generation. I have a, a young son, just a one-year-old son with the name Anthony. I mean, one of my plans is, uh, is to educate him like from a young age already on, on, uh, on, especially about conservation. I mean, I know it will make a very big change in, in his life. That's why we, 
we love what we do. And this is where the inspiration behind inspiring African travel comes from is the ability for us to, to help ensure we empower more citizens of Africa and at the same time uh, help preserve the wildlife and the, and the natural areas. And <clears throat> as you can see, moving down from generation to generation, uh, you are an example for, for what it's all about. And it leads very nicely to, to what Ongava and actually Namibia as a whole is doing wonders for conservation. Specifically, I want to talk a little bit about rhino, black rhino, white rhino. Uh, Namibia has really upped its game when it comes to reputation. Uh, and you guys have been doing so many things for conservation in 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 Africa and and particularly in the areas that you operate. What do, what is Ongava doing and, and and what what is the situation with regards to rhino? Well, um, as you know, uh, throughout Africa we have a problem with with poaching. Here in Ongava we have uh, we have a very clean record of, of uh, poaching. We actually never had an attempt or or any poaching happening here in Ongava. In terms of Ongava, one of the reasons why we actually have a very good clean record is we, uh, they, we have an army called the Anti-Poaching Unit. They are specially just trained to protect animals, uh, mostly rhinos. And uh, these guys uh, work day and night just patrolling, uh, keeping the, the place safe. And they've been doing a very good job. I mean, uh, those guys are outstanding. What, what, what is so critical about the rhino? Maybe if you can tell us what is special about the, the rhino and, you know, why, why is it important that we put so much, so many resources into, into protecting them? Rhinos are, is one of my, personally, one of my favorite animals because it's a, it's, it's, it's a unique animal. I mean, if you look at it, every time I look at a rhino, it will, it, it makes me feel of an animal that has been here for millions of years. Uh, the way it looks is, is totally different from, from how other animals look. And, and it is having a very big role or important role in the ecosystem also. These animals are, are animals that are very good fertilers, I mean, from the dung. And because they get poached too much. If, if the numbers are dropping, uh, this animal is a target to, to, to poachers. Yeah, that's, I mean, um, it certainly on Gava plays a very important role um, in, con in conserving rhino. Um, you've, uh, like you mentioned that walking is one of your favorite activities. So I just have to ask, just tell us a little bit about what it's like to, to go on a guided walk um, and to see rhino on foot. I mean, I think it's quite a, I think it's, it's an experience that is quite remarkable. I mean, I have, I have fortunately done that, um, not much with black rhino, but um, certainly white rhino. And for me, it's an incredible experience. But like for you, what's it like as a guy when you're taking your guests and they see, and you're seeing rhino on foot? What we concentrate on nature walks basically is, is just to, broaden up the understanding on how animals live in their environment. This is when we, when we uh, educate guests or tell them about uh, tracks and science. We basically just mainly concentrate on the small things. If you get to see a rhino and animal on the nature walk, it's, it's a bonus. Just imagine yourself if you're on a nature walk 
and then you see a lion in the distance or an elephant or a rhino. Just that sense of danger, just that little sense of danger can also add to the experience. You, you feel like you are involved in, 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 in their home or in their environment. You get the, the experience is totally different from, from being in the vehicle and feeling safe. You know, you, you almost underestimate, like you say, for, for a tourist or someone who sits and watches these uh, live game drive shows or whatever, you kind of you, you underestimate the, the sheer size and presence that those animals have. And when you're standing on your own two feet in the bush and there's a rhino scurrying about or um, moving about in front of you, it is, it's an incredible experience. You really, you feel it more than you just simply see it. It's, uh, um, yeah, it's something that you have to experience really. Yeah, especially the, the eye connection. I remember when I was still a trainee guide and I used to do uh, rhino approaches with the other experienced guides, like the first time I had the eye connection with the rhino really kicked me out. I was like, wow. One of my favorite sequences out of that, uh, one of the BBC documentaries, I think it was uh, Planet Earth, was the, the black rhinos, because the black rhinos are renowned as being solitary animals and, and a bit grumpy. And then they captured, I think it was in Itosha, they captured the black rhino at night coming together uh, to waterholes and being really social animals and vocalizing um, amongst each other. Uh, like, maybe first of all, can you tell us, have you ever seen anything like that yourself? And, and have you ever, and what's, what is your favorite black rhino sort of wildlife experience that you've seen as a guide out there? Well, I've, I've seen a lot of different uh, things in the wild. One of the highlights, I was on a game drive because I remember it was the afternoon drive uh, one day. I was at the dam, it's one of our dams here in uh, Ongava Game Reserve. And uh, it's a man-made dam which is connected to some uh, river streams. So in the raining season, it gets filled with, uh, with rainwater. There's a, a little stream, stream that uh, goes down until the, the, the big dam. So the rhinos, the rhino, it was a mom and a, and a baby calf. The mom, the mama rhino went over the stream. The baby, it was probably the first time the baby saw water from the way the baby was uh, reacting. So the baby stood there and made a quilling sound like <coughs> and probably afraid of the water because there was some sounds also from the water flowing. The mom came back. She came back to the to the river stream because it was it was a small one, probably less than a meter wide. What she did is she she used her her front leg, her front right leg. She took some soil, some sand, and put it in the river stream. A lot of uh, sand, and then she actually stumbled on it. She went up on the on the ground and made it hard. The surface was hard. And I first did not understand what she was doing. And after that, I could actually see the baby walking on top of that to go to the other side where the mom was. And this was just unbelievable. This side, we only had, there were just two vehicles at the side. And I went back to the camp, asked my colleagues, like, have you ever seen something like this? And everybody just told me, like, you were lucky to see something like that. This was just unbelievable. Just tells you how intelligent animals can be. So cool, man. What a story. 
And, you know, that's like, for me, that's what safari, that's why going on safari, I think, you know, just witnessing these kind of things, you know, this is true wild. It's true nature. You know, this animals in their, in their natural habitat, it's, it's a humbling experience and uh, such a cool story. You know, you can, you can spend the whole day at the watering hole with, with, with a rhino or any animal. You will, as a guide, you will pick up a lot of animal behavior, some signs or something that you have never picked up before. I mean, you can read all the books in this world about animals, but there's always one thing or two things that you, as a guide, being out there will experience yourself. I forgot to say that your impersonation of your impersonation of a baby rhino was very good. Do you do any yeah. other good impersonations <laughs> with that amazing voice of yours? Well, well I'm surprised as that. <laughs> Stuart, uh, Stuart does a, a good baby rhino as well. Stuart, give us your baby rhino. Do I do a baby rhino? Yeah. No. I don't oh. know the bird. Okay, what's it? The black-bellied uh, bustard. Go on. Yeah. No. My contrast my mask in the curry condition. Stu, don't be shy. My, don't be shy. I Come can't on. get my position. <laughs> I got nothing. If I tell you I've stopped recording, will you give us your black-bellied bustard? No. <laughs> I, I, the last time you did that to me, I think it landed up on social media. <laughs> I've learned my lesson. <laughs> Obviously, guests, international travelers are, are few and far between at the moment during the COVID crisis. But I hope, like, like us here in Botswana, you're starting to see a few international travelers on the horizon coming soon. I think we're, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Those of you listening, check out the Ongava Facebook or Instagram, whatever your favorite platform is, because there is good stuff. You guys are sending good updates and images of what's happening with the wildlife, keeping us all informed with what's going on. And a few of your pictures, I think, Michael, your stuff, your content is out there. So, yeah, you're doing a good job. Get, keep out there. Keep the dream alive. And, uh, and all in all, you know, Ongava, it's a place I can't wait to come and visit. Stu, you've been there before. We, um, yeah, I love, I love the desert and I just love to be out there now. But congrats to you and your team for a commendable job when it comes to conservation uh, in terms of rhino and, and everything else. And, uh, and some of those lodges look really beautiful out there. Great job. Yeah. Thanks a lot, James. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me or giving me the opportunity just to just talk about what I love, man. Looking forward to getting out there and hopefully we meet in person someday soon. Not a problem, Stu. We'll be uh, waiting for you with open arms. We'll be welcoming <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Please, if you've got any questions or feedback or if you know somebody that would be really good for the podcast, do get in touch with us. You can reach us on inspiringafricantravel.com. Otherwise, reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We are all over there. And we also have a YouTube channel, so please check that out and, and subscribe as well. Thanks so much for listening.